Blog Talk Radio. On our second episode of the Ivy, we bring in Cubs prospects Tyson Miller and Ryan Kellogg. We then will focus in on new Bryce Harper rumors along with who has emerged as the front runner for him. Then we bring up our top three most important holes that need to be filled before the end of the offseason, other than Bryce Harper. We talk about it all on our second episode of the Ivy. Welcome into the second episode of The Ivy, as Self Thomas and my partner Max will be here with you for the next 60 minutes to dive into everything Cubs related. If you like the Cubs, you've come to the right place, and we're extremely grateful that you took some time out of your Sunday night to join us here. Max, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Excited to be here. All right. Well, we'll be getting to both Tyson Miller and Ryan Kellogg shortly for their interviews, but obviously we'll also be talking about Bryce Harper, some Wrigley Field uh, innovations, and then we'll be wrapping it up with our takes on three positions that the Cubs need to address before the season begins. Also, make sure to call into the show by calling the number 277-9345 to join us and ask a question or comment on anything Cubs related. Once again, it's 845-277-9345. So now we'll be waiting uh, for Tyson Miller, minor league pitcher in the Cubs system. Tyson, are you with us now? Can you hear us? Yeah, how's it going? It's good to have you. It's good to have you. So the first question I would have here for you is, what is your daily routine like in the offseason? Uh, so for this offseason, I mean, basically I've been spending my time at the facility. Just having uh, invited to the lifting camp for five weeks. Then uh, early season in December, and now just out here for instructional weeks. Yeah, man. Every day, it's basically wake up, go to the field, get some breakfast, travel, we lift, get those pictures, and then usually have a nutritional meeting or a mental skills meeting outside of uh, the practices. Cool. Well, Tyson, uh, we're super glad you're here, and it sounds like you're having a good off season so far. Oh, yeah, definitely enjoying it, enjoying it so far. So our next question is, is there any special reason that you wear the number you do with the Cubs MLB, MILB teams? Uh, you know, no real reason. I mean, last year I was 35, and then uh, this year I was going to go for seven, but the uh, jersey numbers in baseball for five, so that would have been a little smug, so try to go 17. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the next question we have is, what are some specific things, Tyson, that you're doing this off season uh, to help you for the upcoming season, whether that's offensively or defensively? Um, what I'm doing to help, I mean, just honestly, just trying to put on a little more weight. Hopefully, that'll help with those velocity jumps and just uh, looking to perfect my mechanics. So, anything that is going on early on once we start throwing, and then uh, once we get off the mound. So our next question for you is: We just, I did just hear that you were talking about your fastball. Uh, what are your goals, and is there anything specifically that you do want to focus on um, in the 2019 season? Uh, goals is just um, 
hopefully go double A. I mean, show that I could get uh, higher level players out. Um, work on work on a secondary so I can stay a starter or see what happens if I go relief more and just run my options. You never really know. 2019 season just and holds uh, just a lot of hard work and hopefully another good season like 2018. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too. You said um, just to make double-A. I think a lot of people that watch baseball forget, that, you know, the process of going all the way through um, each step. It, it's super important just for – and I think it's good that you're narrow-focused on that goal of just getting to the next level. Um, the next question we have is who were and are the most influential people in your life growing up, and uh, who are some still today, Steve Tyson? Uh, other than Stanley, I mean, obviously my mom and dad, definitely, but other than Stanley, I mean, growing up, uh, was a giant fan, so I liked watching, like, someone to Tim Crow, um, other players like Barry Bonds, recently, uh, I like watching, like, CJ Edwards, just, I mean, because he's with the Cubs, and I'm trying to work my cutter to be like his, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just growing up, that was yeah, so our next question for you is uh, what's one of your favorite moments that you specifically remember while playing or even off the field, I mean, in the locker rooms or, I mean, anything like that? Uh, there's a lot of memories in the locker rooms for sure, I mean, just different guys, different environments, but Definitely would have to be uh, first, I mean, first season with the Cubs winning a championship, Northwest League championship with the Eugene Emeralds. I mean, that group of group of guys, group of coaches, we have to have team chemistry like we had there, and it was just it was fun baseball. All right, Tyson. Uh, if you weren't a professional baseball player, what do you think would be your occupation? Uh, do you have any interests or talents uh, that not many people know about? I'm not too sure, honestly. I mean, so I wasn't for baseball, but the video games were going, trying to be like a professional video game, just like streaming a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not <laughs> too sure. Yeah. So our next question for you is, uh, while playing, do you have any specific superstitions? Uh, I think I have any superstitions with more routines. I mean, I always put my right sock on before my left. Most like that. Uh, I like to listen to music before I start and uh, just kind of clear my head. I don't really overthink anything. But superstition-wise, um, no, nothing. I mean, going into the inning, I always say a pair before I first pitch, and that's just about it. All right, Tyson, uh, is there any other sports you watch? And if so, what players or teams uh, in specific do you root for outside of baseball? Um, football, I'm a Niners fan. So the last few years I've been too fun, but hopefully Jimmy G gets, gets healthy and we get a little better with our second pick. And then uh, basketball, I would say watching Derek Rose doing what he's doing now with the ball. Uh, Timberwolves has been pretty fun to watch. LeBron with the Lakers, being from California, everyone's talking about him. But mm-hmm. I'd say LeBron, Derrick Rose, Jimmy Garoppolo, just watching football playoffs right now today. It was some pretty good games. 
yeah, and definitely. I mean, I live in Minnesota, and Derrick Rose is uh, definitely one of the the most talked about players in Minnesota sports recently. It's pretty crazy. Oh yeah, we always for ourselves a Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So our next question for you is. Do you think there's a possibility that you move up to AAA and possibly even on the MLB team in September call-ups? I think there's always a possibility if you play well enough. I know if you have a bullpen, we can have some options, starting pitching, you never know. Probably pretty good with uh, giving guys some their first debut for pitching-wise the last few years. So, I mean, it just depends on if I have a good season or not. I know guys upstairs and they're always watching uh, who's picking them and whatnot but we'll just have to see yeah well I mean obviously we all hope that eventually we will see you with the MLB team and with the Cubs and that hopefully you get to pitch in the bullpen with CJ yeah hopefully yeah so our next question for you is while playing Fortnite is there any specific guys you enjoy playing with uh, uh, specifically uh, specifically, just few players from back home that I know in our organization. Uh, today, I mean, actually right now, I just got off with Dakota Meccas, Terrence Hamlin, Nate Sweeney, Paul Richardson, just added him. But there's quite a few guys in the organization that play in all-around baseball, for sure, that play. Yeah, definitely. So, finally, our last question is um, – I know one of our fans was wondering where you played college ball and where at and how different is college compared to the minor league level? So I played uh, college ball at a D2 school, California Baptist University. They just declared for D1. This is their first year in D1 this year. But the difference in college and minor league is games every day. Uh, the six-man rotation, depending on the level and organization that they do, but it's not just every weekend. But I mean, you get to just focus on baseball and sleep. There's not, you don't have to worry about finals, schoolwork, anything like that. Off-field distractions. Minor leagues, it's pure baseball. In college, it's trying to get your degree and also play baseball and get drafted or looked up by scouts. Another question I have for you, Tyson, uh, one of our last ones, uh, but uh, at what age were you getting uh, major league look, or not major league looks, but, um, you know, to get drafted, at what age was that? Was it high school? Was it uh, late middle school? What age did you get those looks from coaches? Uh, I mean, going into high school, it wasn't until going into my junior senior year, I was committed to Cal Baptist University. I mean, senior senior, I didn't think I was going to, play college ball or play at a big school and then I think it was my sophomore year of college is when I actually got serious looked at by some MLB scouts and organizations and then got to be able to go to the Cape Cod League World, or Cape Cod League Super Bowl and uh, did well there and showed that I could pitch against some D1 players and top prospects and uh, everything just worked out for the best with the Cubs. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously we're happy you're here today with us. And finally for our last question, um, in, so focusing more on the team, I know it's hard moving up and down um, in the minor leagues. And obviously 
you're on a different team every uh, season usually. So is there any guy specifically on your team that you usually stick with while moving up or staying in place? Well, my career, there's been a good core of guys that we've all moved up together with, with DJ Wilson, Sebastian Mitchell, Brian Hudson, uh, Vladimir Galindo, Yannick Figuera. A lot of the guys you kind of see each year, depending on if you're having a good season or not, move up together. And so it helps build relationships and build friendships. And you know their team chemistry. You know how they are on the field and stuff and work better. All right. Well, Tyson, uh, that's all we have for you tonight. And on behalf of Max and myself, we'd like to thank you uh, for taking some time out of your Sunday night uh, to be with us in the Ivy. And uh, we look forward to watching you this next season then. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, peace out, man. What's going on, guys? This is Nick from the Marlins Kid Podcast. Make sure you guys tune in to our second episode tomorrow night as we will be actually joined by Eli from the Fish Stripes Company. He writes a lot of the articles and is a member of the Fish Stripes community. He's been there for a while. We are very excited to have him on. He will be our first guest. But we will be talking about all Marlins news, all Marlins offseason needs, everything going off the fish to catch up with. Uh, we're very excited to do this. Our first guest coming on. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss it. It is 7.30 Eastern tomorrow night, and you guys definitely do not want to miss it. All right, welcome back to the second episode of the Ivy here on January 13th. Uh, we just wrapped up an interview with Cubs pitcher or Cubs minor league pitcher Tyson Miller, and uh, make sure you give us a call at 845-277-9345 to join us and ask a question or comment on anything Cubs-related. And also, for more of the Ivy content, be sure to head over to our website at baseballpodcastnet.com and make sure to give our host or you or our host a follow on Instagram, me, myself, and Max. Um, mine is at CubsNation2018. Max is at Wrigley News. And follow the official Baseball Podcast Network social media accounts, Instagram at, ba- at Baseball Podcast Net, Twitter at Baseball Podcast One, and on SoundCloud and YouTube, the Baseball Podcast Network. So we just wrapped up the interview. With Tyson Miller, Max, how do you think that went? Uh, what were, any anything interesting that you heard from him? Uh, I definitely think it it went well, and I'm glad that we could have him. And one thing that I did think was interesting was he mentioned one of the guys that he stayed with and uh, throughout the minors when I asked him that question, and he said one of the players that yeah. I recognized the game uh, the name was Vladimir. I don't remember his last name, but I have heard of him before, and I've heard that he has been a pretty known prospect in the Cubs minor league system, so maybe eventually we will see Tyson Miller and him in the majors. Yeah, definitely, and I just got word that our second second interviewee, uh, Ryan Kellogg, a pitcher out of the Cubs minor league system, is ready for us. Ryan, can you hear me? Yes, I you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you guys? We're doing well. We're doing well. Second episode here on the Ivy. But our first question for you, Ryan, today is uh, what's your daily routine like in the offseason? The offseason is a big time to get ready for the upcoming season. The first little bit is more to recover from the long season that we just had. And then uh, once that recovery period is over, it's kind of start building for the next next season that's coming up. So uh, right now the routine is wake up, go go to the facility, 
uh, work out with a few guys there. So we'll go throw, we'll do our conditioning, we'll get our lift in, um, do our shoulder work, and uh, then we're pretty much done for the day with regards to baseball activities. Sounds good. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, you have a pretty busy schedule. So once you do get home um, or wherever you do live, uh, what do you fill your free time with at night? Uh, a lot of Netflix. Um, that's a big thing. Usually it's whoever I'm living with for the off season will hang out. We'll find a new show to binge or go back and um, do some other – go back and watch shows that we had started watching during the season – um, watch a lot of the other sports games. Obviously, our season ends before the big league one does, so we'll uh, keep up with our team, see how they're doing in the playoff races or in the playoffs, and uh, yeah, we're go socialize. We spend a lot of time away from our friends and family, so it's nice if you can spend a little bit of time, go grab dinner with a buddy or old college teammate or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there any special reason, Ryan, that you uh, choose the number thirty-two? to wear with the Cubs MILB team. Uh, is there any reason behind that, a story behind it? Uh, growing up, I was number 30. I used to be number 15, and then uh, somebody else took that one year, so I was just number 30, and I wore that probably from age 12 to 18. And then um, I was 49 with the junior national team and 49 at ASU, and so 49 isn't a very common number in the minor league. So I was like, you know what, Those aren't avail- that number's not available so I'll just go back to uh, go back to thirty. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting story, and uh, so this next question regards probably the best major league player currently, Mike Trout. So uh, a three-two count on Mike Trout with the bases loaded and two outs. What pitch are you going to throw to him, and why? Uh, I'm going to have to go with the changeup. I feel like that would just be my best bet against him. That's always been uh, my best pitch. And so game situation, game on the line like that, I'm going to have to go with my best pitch against him. Obviously, whatever else has been thrown in the count might dictate, but obviously not really knowing that in this situation, I'm probably just going to have to say my change up. Yeah. Uh, The next question, Ryan, we have for you is, explain the relationship you have with your catcher and – how much freedom do you have to choose what to throw? What's the relationship relationship like there uh, with your guy? Uh, we have complete freedom in that sense of what to throw. Um, the, the running joke, or not really a joke, but they always say that it's RERA on the line. So whatever they put down is a suggestion. And uh, as long as yeah. you have a good reason for what you're going to throw, then uh, yeah. they're usually on board with it. They're going to put down what they think is best, but maybe you don't have confidence in that pitch in that situation, or maybe you don't have confidence in that pitch that day. Maybe you just want to throw something else. Maybe you see something in the hitter swing that he might not see, something like that. Um, but, yeah, the relationship you have with them is very important. And the more you throw to a guy, the more he likes, he'll understand what you like to throw in certain situations. And it's always nice when you have a good relationship with your catcher and the game kind of just rolls along um, where you're not shaking them off two or three times every, every hitter just to try to get to the pitch you want. Um, kind of keeps the game in rhythm, gets you into a rhythm, gets them into a rhythm. And so uh, building that relationship throughout the season is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I mean, so our next question is, uh, with all the extra attention paid to pitcher health and arm issues, what do you do in terms of training to stay healthy and along with things like staying mentally alert during the game? Um, Throwing is very important if you're talking about arm health 
just becoming a really good thrower before you become a pitcher is paramount. Um, understanding what your body needs to be or what your what can, kind of condition your arm needs to be until you're ready to go out there and compete every day. Um, and also having the base that you build through your long toss program and through your daily throwing program really puts you in a good position to be able to survive a long season like we have. Um, so those are really important things. And along with the throwing program, we do a bunch of shoulder work, shoulder exercises to strengthen the scap and rotator cuff and all that sort of stuff just to make, make sure our body is as strong as possible to endure the workload. All right. The next question I have for you, Ryan, is if you ever would possibly get a chance to play another position instead of pitcher, what would it be and why? And, you know, we've seen in the last couple of years at least uh, an, an increase in some uh, – second baseman, third baseman, position players being able to pitch, what would be your second position if you could? I feel like it would have to be a first baseman. Um, I played first base in high school and travel ball, that sort of stuff. I'm also left-handed, so that kind of restricts me. I'm not really fast enough to play the outfield. So I feel like my best bet would probably be as a first baseman. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of relating to first baseman, uh, why did you stop playing first baseman, as you said you did in high school, and then uh, you went to ASU? So was that a switch between high school and ASU, or ASU and uh, the the minor leagues? Oh, that was from high school to college was where that first base career ended. Um, it was just one of those things where just had to really focus on one, and I'm I was a better pitcher than I was a first baseman. And, um, like, being a left-handed thrower, better off on the mound than I would have been at first base. Um, I don't know how I would have hit in college. Um, the pitching we see in Canada is a lot different than the competition that you see down here in the U.S., especially when I'm competing against guys that went to – or came out of Florida or Southern California, Texas, all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. These guys that can play year-round in the level of competition between high school baseball in the U.S. versus high school baseball in Canada. Um I would have loved to have hit in college. I asked for at-bats or to hit for myself, all that sort of stuff, but uh, probably for a good reason that I didn't get to hit for myself and we left it to the guys who really knew what they were doing in the box. Yes. Uh, besides baseball, Ryan, what are the professional teams you root for? I know that obviously uh, nowadays NFL playoffs is just so big recently, but uh, what, what's your stance on other professional teams? Do you root for any? I root for the Maple Leafs. I was born about 45 minutes east of Toronto, so um, all Toronto sports teams. Um, when it comes to the NFL, I didn't really grow up with an NFL team um, just because there's none in Canada. So I said if I always had, I always said if I had to pick one, it would either have to be the Buffalo Bills because they're about two hours from us, or I mean I've lived in okay. Arizona now for the last about six years, so it'd have to be the Cardinals. All right. So yeah, so. Um, relating to that and the other professional sports teams, um, growing up, was there ever a possibility of you playing a different sport? Um, I played hockey for six or seven years, um, just like in what we call house league, pretty much like you sign up to play. Um, I wasn't very good my first couple of years. I didn't really know how to skate, but I just feel like I would have loved, I absolutely love playing hockey. I love skating, love the pace. Uh, still love watching it, but I just feel like I had started so late. Um, maybe if I had started when I was younger, maybe I would have picked it up. Maybe I would have been better, but um, I just, baseball was the first game I fell in love with. It started when I was five years old and uh, never looked back. 
So is hockey still something you enjoy playing today as during free time? Um, I wouldn't say I get to do it as much as I'd like to. I don't think we really get to do it all, especially living out here in the desert. Yeah. Um, but I do love to watch it if it's on. Um, I would love to get out there and play more. used to go home at like Christmas time and some of my buddies would go out and we'd play pond hockey um, if the weather permits. But um, growing up playing road hockey, pond hockey, like mini sticks, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just such a Canadian thing to do. And it's kind of what we grew up seeing and watching. So that's kind of what we start to do. Um, I wish I got to get out there more. I've been skating a handful of times out here, but um, nothing quite like what it used to be. So being that you grew up in Canada, Ryan, did you notice a difference um, maybe by from talking to your friends now that you uh, met in the Cubs minor league system, but did you notice a difference in uh, recruitment processes being that it's a different country or, or uh, do you think it's more similar and because of such, it's such a global sport? I'd say it's becoming more similar, but it's still not as easy to be seen in Canada just because we don't have the same exposure. There's scouts here everywhere that are at all the high school games that are at all the travel ball games. Um, Don't get me wrong. We still have scouts up there and they come find their players, but it's tougher to find a collegiate scout that's coming to these Canadian Canadian games um, if you go to some of the big tournaments like the one in Jupiter or the Arizona Fall Classic out here in Arizona, those kind of tournaments, you're going to find more of those, um, more of the college coaches that are recruiting. But within Canada, um, a lot of the schools can find the players they need. Here in Canada, it's kind of like the Canadians have to try to find the schools and say, hey, look, here's what I got. Come uh-huh. find me. As opposed to um, guys who said, hey, man, we got a game today, and the scout drives 20 minutes down the road or there's a big tournament yeah. scouts the or like the recruiters from colleges go find them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So kind of relating to you coming from Canada as well. Uh, Jameson Talion, is that name familiar to you? Jameson Talion. Yeah. So uh, we know that he pitches for the Pirates. Is that a guy that you look up to or a guy that you enjoy watch pitching in the ma- major leagues today? I love watching all Canadian guys that come up and are going to pitch in the big leagues. I mean, they're the one that set the bar for all of us and that show that it is possible to be the kid from Canada and who makes it to the big leagues. Yeah, definitely. So is there any guys that you grew up playing with that uh, are playing baseball today in the MLB? Uh, In the MLB? No, not that I came up with. We got a bunch of guys that are going to be knocking on the door here pretty soon. Um, I played with Cal Quantrill, who is in the Padres organization. Um, I think he was in Double A. He's one of their one of their pretty high up prospects. Um, Josh Naylor, same sort of thing. Oh, actually, there's one kid I didn't get to play with, but I did meet. We recruited him. Um, Mike Soroka. He made his big league debut last year, I believe. Um, none of the guys I really grew up playing with from, say, like high school, but there are guys that I have. Um, come in contact with since then that have now made their uh, big league debuts. So are those guys that you still keep in contact with? Um, some of them, yeah. I talked to Quantrill a little bit because he, he was a Stanford guy, and so it was, always a, it was always fun when ASU played Stanford and catch up with him a little bit. Um, Josh Naylor and I played with for a little bit of time. He'll be up there soon, I'm short, uh, up there shortly, I'm sure. Um, 
Soroka I'd talked to before, but I haven't really talked to him in a long time. But, I mean, the baseball community in Canada is so small. Just, like, everybody knows everybody. As soon as you see somebody, like, just go talk to them. They're going to be open to it. Go say hey. Yeah, definitely. Go see how things are going. Um, so it's just one of those things where the community is strong. And so you always root for your boys and root for your fellow Canadians. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's that's super cool that uh, you still remember guys today that are Canadians, and hopefully we'll see a lot of you guys up in the MLB eventually. I'm hoping so, too. So our last question here, Ryan, is uh, I don't know if you have a particular stance on it or not, um, but do you think this season is too long? I know the MLB gets knocked a lot for the 162-game season. Do you think it's a little too long? And being that you're a pitcher, uh, we thought maybe it would be a good question to ask you. Um, I don't know. I've never experienced a 162-game season. So, um, yeah, that's true. I feel like that, I've experienced 140, and 140 is a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh-huh. But I, I also feel like being a pitcher is a little bit different for me because, yes, it's 162 games, but I'm not an everyday infielder. I'm not an everyday outfielder. So, I don't have to be – I'm not going into the game, say, 145 days out of 162 where there's the guys that play, like, that's a couple off days. Like, those guys aren't getting much downtime, whereas I kind of have, now being a reliever, it's still 140 games, but i got to be ready to pitch 40 times. Um, So it's a different type of wear and tear for us. Um, As a starter, I love this. I knew I had to go every five, six days, whatever it was. And so you got to make your 25 starts. or around there. Um, but I just feel like I can't really have an opinion on it until I've truly experienced it. Yeah, definitely. So relating that to, uh, to you starting and pitching, uh, do you throw every day or how does your schedule work throughout the week um, while you pitch and while you start and when does rest come and stuff like that? Um, yeah, we do throw every day during the season. Right now it's kind of a little bit different. We're still building and you're still trying to get back into things in the full swing. So there are still our days off now, but generally once spring training hits, um, you're throwing every day, um, unless you have a day off or travel or a day off in the middle of the season, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, you throw every day and your rest is kind of tailored around when you pitch. So if you throw off the mound one day, you're not going to be a max effort guy the next day. That's kind of your rest. It's kind of like an active recovery. You're still moving your arm. You're still having blood flow. You're still building or working on things, but it's you're limiting how much stress you're putting on your arm at that point. All right. Well, Ryan, that's all we have for you tonight. And on behalf of myself and Max, uh, we'd like to truly thank you for spending some time with us tonight. And we wish you the best of luck for the rest of the offseason. And obviously we hope that someday we can see you playing at Wrigley in the Cubs uniform, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. Yep, thank you, Ryan. This week on FanCast, will the Bryce be right? We will discuss the latest rumors on the Phillies meeting with Harper and Vegas, and when Phillies fans can expect an offer to be made. After hearing so much about new additions to the fight in Phil's, It's easy to look past the news that ace Aaron Nola is headed to an arbitration hearing, which we will break down and explain. After the Yankees signed DJ LeMahieu this past week, is it time to rule out Manny in the Bronx? We'll talk about the possible landing spots for Machado, and if the Phillies could possibly come away with both superstars. We will take callers and hear the fans' opinions on who you prefer in Philly. Harper or Machado? With a news-filled week approaching and the Phillies bound to make moves, we will keep you up to date. Be sure to listen in 
on the newest episode of FanCast. The Bryce is right. All right, welcome back into the second episode of the Ivy. Make sure to give us a call at 845-277-9345 to join us uh, here on the podcast and ask, ask us a question or comment on anything Cubs related. And also make, make sure to head over to baseballpodcastnet.com for more of the Ivy content. So now after wrapping up our two, interview, two interviewees with uh, Tyson Miller and Ryan Kellogg, uh, Max, we get into our first topic of Bryce Harper and you know, Bryce Harper's Cubs rumors. Here we go again. Uh, they're heating up after he was spotted with Chris Bryant at a party. And uh, Wrigley Renovations will also be talking, on, talking about. But uh, first off, you know, they spent New Year's Eve together, Bryce Harper and Chris Bryant and their families. And uh, Chris's wife, Jessica, captured some of their fun via her Instagram story. Uh, what are you thinking about these uh, new sort of rumors, Max? What's your stance on it? I mean, obviously, we all know that Chris Bryant and Bryce Harper are super good friends as long as, as well as their wives. I mean, we did hear a month ago that that Bryce Harper would not his, make his decision based off of um, his friendship with Chris Bryant. But you also have to remember, even though he's not, like, that's going to play a role if we do get him. And even if we – if the ownership does give Theo the go to go after him. That will play a part. Yeah, especially. And, I mean, we got news earlier today as well, um, about, I'd say about eight hours ago, around noon, uh, that the Phillies were emerging as the front runners for Harper. Um, they came out of a five-hour meeting earlier today, and the Phillies are expected to make an offer within a week, uh, the source of USA Today for that. Um, and you know, that's why I don't think that, honestly, right now, like, for, as a Cubs fan, I don't think that at this point our focus is on Bryce Harper, especially after the news came out today. Um, you know, Max, what would you say the percent chance is that uh, Bryce Harper is in a Cubs uniform uh, come opening day? I mean, honestly, I the more I think about it, I don't think we'll get Bryce Harper. Obviously, money plays a big part, and especially with the ownership not allowing Theo Epstein to go after him. Um, they did say that the luxury tax wouldn't play a role, but if the ownership isn't going to allow Theo to go after him, then there's really no chance of us getting him. I, I do think, though, that it's it's interesting to bring up that um, we've already seen in the offseason just how quick a change things can just turn because you look at uh, Yankees and Machado, and that didn't work out, and that we thought was – a done deal, pretty much. I decided. And then you look at Harper to L.A., and that seemed like a done deal. So, um, you know, I, I, it's definitely keep, keep, a, keep an ear open uh, about the Cubs Harper because I, I don't think we're totally out of it yet. And, you know, I, I, don't, I could see Theo pulling off some crazy, uh, ridiculous uh, things because we've seen it before. And any yeah, thoughts that, on that? You know? I mean, I agree with you there, but... I mean, obviously, like I said earlier, uh, the ownership does have to allow it. And honestly, at this point, I don't think they want to give Bryce Harper, a guy who had a 3.5 war last year, which isn't great, uh, 30 to $40 million a year. I mean, I think they'd definitely be more into it if it was 
a four to five year deal, but then once again, then the Dodgers would get involved, and then you're more into the fact of fighting price wise with the Dodgers and along with the Phillies, the Yankees, because then more teams would start to be involved again. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I, like I said, you know, it, just keep a keep an ear open because stuff can stuff can hit the fan, and all of a sudden he could be in a Cubs uniform. I wouldn't be surprised, but. Um, I, I still think he'll go to Philadelphia now. Um, I think we see a narrative uh, of Bryce Harper playing in the same division with the Nationals, obviously. Um, you know, the three-home run game is incoming uh, for me, against, at least I think, against Washington if he goes to Philly. Uh, do you think Philadelphia is the front runner then, Matt? Yeah, I mean, especially after what was released earlier today. I mean, obviously, there's a five-hour meeting. Obviously, something – Something was progressing between the club and the player, especially with Bryce Harper, um, a guy that the Phillies have been targeting for pretty much all offseason now when the past two to three years everyone thought that the Cubs were immediately going to get him. But, I mean, as we saw last offseason, Hugh Darvish was signed, Brandon Morrow was signed, and the horrendous contract of Tyler Chatwood, which ultimately – uh, is one of the things that's leading us currently to not being able to afford him according to the ownership. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, if if uh, Harper goes to Philadelphia, that Philly seems going to be really fun to watch with uh, Hopkins and Harper and Aaron Noah pitching. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do agree there. I mean, especially with all the young talent, like you said. I mean, Aaron Nola, uh, he is going to an arbitration hearing um and we know that usually that doesn't go well for players and because then that starts um uh disagreement between the club and the player and really it brings up it can bring up drama in the clubhouse along with uh managers and really whatever happens so yeah i mean it's definitely a fun time uh for the uh fan cast kids uh make sure you go listen to their show and if you have any other good guys but uh also, make sure to call us at 845-277-9245 to join us, ask a question, comment, anything comes related. We'd like you to join our show. But uh, as for the next topic that we're going to talk about is Wrigley Fields renovations, Max. And for me, I live in Minnesota. I have only been to two Wrigley Field games ever, um, one for my 10th birthday and uh, one a couple of years ago. But uh, Wrigley Field updates, you know, the right field corner, uh, was the busiest place in the ballpark a few days ago with construction, and it, uh, they appear to be adding seats to the left field corner as well. Uh, that was updated yesterday. Um, they're adding them much like they are doing in right field. And the question for Max that I have, because I know he goes to more games than me, is uh, what are some things you think the Cubs should do to enhance the regular field experience, experience that doesn't involve adding seats or building anything new? You know, things are things too pricey, are certain seats that you've sat at in the past just simply not good enough, need to be changed? You know, what what are some improvements that the Cubs could do with Wrigley Field, do you think? I mean, definitely one of the things that I focus on the whole time is the seating is overall when you sit in those seats, first of all, they're metal and they're cold. So if you go there on a rainy day, you sit down and you're going to get wet no matter what but you're also going to be sitting in a freezing cold seat. So part of it, Mm -hmm. I think 
that they need to do is all the seats need to be replaced. I mean, obvious, like we've seen them adding seats and the seats below the upper deck are really nice and they're nice and they're, you're not, you don't feel like you're being squished. And I definitely think that would be more of a uh, pleasant experience to fans. And obviously if you make seats bigger, the less seats you can have, but really I don't think it's about it being bigger. I just think it's, using the space more wisely and even even the fact of just new ones because really overall they're not nice seats. Yeah, and I think that comes at the cost of having, you know, the older ballpark feeling and the I just uh, they you know, it's Wrigley Field and they don't want to change a whole lot and I think that's where they're reluctant to change, um, even though it may just be for the better for everything. Um but have you sat in the outfield mess? Have you sat in the outfield um, I have sat in the outfield. I have not sat in the outfield, but I have been in the outfield. And really, I've heard the bleachers aren't horrible, considering they're bleachers. Yeah, I mean, I I was just asking because when I went a couple of years ago, that's where we sat, and um, I had no issues with it. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Um, obviously, I'm not the. I don't live in Chicago, um, so I'm not the one going to uh, double digit games every year. Uh, but, you know, as for the bleachers, obviously, you know, the sun's hot and stuff, but that's the cool part about being there. And, you know, it, they're just bleachers. And, you know, I, as for me, I've been to two games, like I said, and the bleachers were fine. And the other one, I was on, like, third baseline. So, obviously, that was great. Um, but are there any other things that you wanted to touch on as for the Wrigley Field uh, renovations, or uh, should we move on? I mean, really, I think I think Wrigley is a great place, and, I know that uh, the ownership was talking about possibly uh, moving the organization to another place due to the city not allowing them to make certain renovations to improve the ballpark, which is pretty upsetting to fans and even the ownership too. I mean, obviously we want the best experience for the fans and the players as well who play their half of the season. And really, I think that's something that the city should allow and – uh, we really hope that in the upcoming few years that that's something uh, that they do improve. Hello, everyone. My name is Eamon, and I am one of the hosts at Pinstripe Talk. On Wednesday, January 16th at 5 o'clock, we will be covering more of the Yankees' crazy offseason to DJ LeMayhew signing and seeing where he fits in the lineup to talking about the recent allegation problems that New York has been having to also seeing where the infield looks for the upcoming season. All of this will be featured on this week's episode of Pinstripe Talk. All right, welcome back into the second episode of the Ivy. Uh, make sure to give us a call at 845-277-9345 to join us, ask any questions, comments, on anything comes your way. We'd love to have you on the show. And give your host a follow on Instagram. I'm at CubsNation2018. Max is at Wrigley News. And then lastly, follow the official baseball podcast network on all social media accounts. Instagrams is at Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter's is at Baseball Podcast One. And both SoundCloud and YouTube's are the Baseball Podcast Network. So, Max, we get into our second and last topic today because we had Tyson Miller and Ryan Kellogg on the show. And we will be talking about three positions uh, that the Cubs need to fix before the start of the season. Um, and the first one we're going to highlight, both you and I agreed, is a backup catcher. And I'll let you open it up. Uh, what are your thoughts about backup catchers? 
I mean, I definitely think that uh, backup catcher is a big need on the roster. I mean, Caratini wasn't great last season, and obviously we're hoping that he can take a step forward. But really, looking at last season, it doesn't look like he's given I mean, he played in 76 games with 200 plate appearances, and he only batted 232 with 21 RBIs and two homers. Uh, one of those coming, one of those was the Grand Slam. And so I definitely think there's a few guys that uh, that are currently free agents that would be great additions to this team and veteran experience. I definitely think that uh, they could help Wilson Contreras uh, continue to develop who's who can't play every day. And we saw that last year and mainly that was one of the, that was one of the reasons uh, the Cubs success fell dramatically because whenever he took a day off for rest, there wasn't a great backup. And I definitely think that um, there is, four or five catchers out there available who would improve this roster and improve the backup catcher spot. And I'll let you talk about a few of those. Yeah. And before we get into that, um, like you said, with Wilson Contreras, he's such an impact player that, um, you know, it's highlighted that we need it to need a backup catcher because Contreras is so good that we see this, this huge difference between when Contreras is starting and we have someone else back there taking the reps. And I, as for me, um, I don't think Victor Caratini is the answer uh, for the for the one or two uh, days a week uh, guys behind the plate. And I think the Cubs need to find um, a David Ross 2.0. And I say that because we saw how impactful David Ross was as a backup behind Contreras. Obviously, he only caught for John Lester. But if we can find the perfect veteran guy to come in kind of like David Ross did and play a role where he's very likable and the young guys will attach to him, even if he's only playing one or two, one or two times a game, I think that brings so much more to the team um, than what Victor Caratini does, um, both stats-wise and just culture-wise uh, for the ball club. And uh, one of those guys that could possibly fill that role uh, is Martin Maldonado. And, um, you know, a 231 average last year was not great. Um, he only had 108 plate appearances. But the thing is, is that the key difference, like I said, between Wilson Contreras and the next man up, isn't necessarily offensively that we see a big difference, but it's defensively. Because, you know, we, we haven't had a backup pitcher that's that great defensively. And Martin Maldonado comes in with a .996 fielding percentage last year, and you know he's great defensively. He only had four errors, and he's a guy that is very likable. He's an older veteran guy, and uh, what are your thoughts on Martin Maldonado? Because I think he could be a guy that comes in on a very veteran salary, very veteran deal, and you know can kind of rally the troops uh, once, once or twice a week. I mean, that's definitely a guy that I would look at uh, possibly adding to this roster. I mean, Especially, especially uh, the defense. The defense really stands out to me, and really, that's a turning point. I think that uh, he could he could show a lot of young players um, things that he's learned throughout his career, and he could t- teach them before they have to figure out in the future. We could win next year. I mean, I definitely think that he's a guy who he's a guy who changes his team, but also. Looking at that, those defensive stats, uh, 
uh, he could possibly be a starter for another team, which is unfortunate. So really we're hoping um, that if we were able to get him, that Theo would give him the three to four million dollars, whatever he wants, uh, to play as a backup catcher or even three days a week or possibly, obviously we never hope for injury, but sometimes it happens and uh, we know that players can get injured and we saw it uh, two years ago with Wilson Contreras. I mean, obviously that's uh, something we never want to think about, but it's always a possibility and I definitely think that Martin Maldonado could fill in too, so. Yeah, and, you know, I think there is a real shot that, um, you know, he doesn't get a big contract because the fact that, uh, first off, he's still a free agent, and he's 31 years old, and uh, we saw him appear in 78 games last year with the Angels and 41 with Houston. But combined, he only had nine home runs and 44 44 RBIs. So um, there's a real shot that the, the Cubs could possibly go out and get him. And another guy that I want to highlight here uh, before I'll let you talk about your guys is Nick Hundley. And obviously the name isn't sexy by any means, um, a 241 average in 96 games last year. Um, but and he's 34 years old, so that's not great. But a cheap veteran, once again, um, probably even cheaper than Martin Maldonado, definitely cheaper. But um, a, like Maldonado, a .990 fielding percentage. And, you know, I mean – it's not a great, it's not a great, not a great player, but he gives once a week on a cheap deal. What do you think about Nick Hundley? I mean, when I look at backup catchers, looking at their stats, probably better than Victor Caratini. And really, especially being a veteran instead yeah. of a young backup catcher, I definitely, I'd take a hundred percent take a veteran over a young backup catcher still learning. Yeah, I would too. And um, what what are some guys that you're looking uh, that the Cubs could possibly sign a backup catcher? I know you have a list of a few guys. Uh, well, there is a few other guys out there. Obviously, those would probably be my top two. But the two other, uh, there is two two or three other guys that I really do like. And one who played for the Padres last year, AJ Ellis. Uh, he had a 3.78 on base percentage, which is no in no means bad at all. 66 games, batted 272, and really, he's not bad on offense at all. I mean, obviously, the 344, which is below his on-base percentages, isn't pretty at all, and um, he, he he can't – he's 37, so obviously, that's not a guy that you want catching out every day, and really, I don't see him starting on any team, so I definitely think that would be a reasonable, reasonable guy to add to the team. I mean – uh, he caught three and 370 innings last year. Um, he only had one error and a 9.97 uh, fielding percentage. And um, like looking at that for a backup catcher, like I'd gladly have that on a minimum deal. Like I said earlier, over uh, <laughs> over a young catcher like Victor Caratini, even if we even if we put Victor in the minors or even. I mean, we all know how Joe loves his three catchers, so even if we do leave him on the roster and let him learn from a guy like A.J. Ellis or the two guys that we mentioned earlier, but there is one more I really like, and that's Fat Weeders. And he played with Washington the past two seasons, uh, seven games last year and 123 previous year. 
And a lot of people do think he's capable of being a starter. Uh, a few years ago, we did see him starting. Uh, he played 124 games with Baltimore and 123 um, with the Nationals. And he really doesn't deserve to start when I'm looking at the stats. I mean, a 330 on base percentage last year. Before that, a 288, 302, 319, 339. You kind of get the point. Uh this guy isn't really great, but like I said earlier, I'd 100% take a veteran over a young guy like Victor Caratini. He's 32. Um, Really, if he doesn't do well, you're not losing much. I mean, obviously, it's not ideal to sign a guy and then have him not play well, but I mean, like the other guys, he had, he had a 995 on base percentage and three errors. I mean, obviously you want a guy who who is going to going to block every ball from getting behind them, but for a backup catcher, it doesn't look bad. And really, I think every single one of those guys would be reasonable for the backup catcher role. Yeah, and before we move on to the next next position, the one guy I want to talk about um just so that our listeners don't forget is Taylor Davis. And he's 29 years old, he's in the minor league system, the catcher. Uh, this will be, I think, his seventh or eighth year in the minors. And in 107 games last year, he had a 275 average and um, I, at 41 RBI. So um, if you kind of forget about Caratini, maybe he kind of falls off and you bring in one of these veteran minimum guys that we're talking about uh, for like a year or two for a bridge gap, or like a bridge for Taylor Davis to get to the majors. Um, I don't think he's out of the question for filling that role in the long term. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's no really long-term backup catcher role because guys want to start nowadays. But it's kind of, I mean, even just a one-year deal for any of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So now we'll get into our second position, and that is going to be a leadoff hitter, as both you and I agree that, the Cubs have an issue here at leadoff, and Daniel Murphy was leading off at the end of the year last year. Now he's gone. Um, it seems like Ben Zobers is a good early-look candidate to be the guy, um, or Albert Elmore Jr., in my opinion. Uh, what are you thinking? Who do you think will be the Cubs leadoff hitter come opening day? I mean, honestly, there's a lot of guys on the roster right now that are capable of being a leadoff hitter, but I don't see any of them being the solution long-term or even short-term. I mean, we saw a lot of guys play leadoff last year. And, I mean, Albert Elmore I don't see as a solution. 323 on base, uh, about as good as Javier Baez, which, I mean, if you watch Cubs baseball, that is not a good on-base percentage. But, I mean, Ben Zobris is a really fun guy to look at. I mean, throughout his career, he's been well. And um, we know in 2017, he didn't have a great year. But last year he bounced back, and he's 37 years old too. He had a 378 on base, and skipping over 2017, a 386, his first year with the Cubs. And so I definitely think that's a guy that um, that Joe Madden could put in for in the leadoff spot if because you're not going to pay a guy like AJ Pollock to bat leadoff, and he's had injury situations in the past. I mean, I definitely think that the guy who will be batting leadoff in the first game of the season is on the roster currently. I don't think there's a guy out there 
that will sign that will be start that will be starting batting leadoff. Yeah, I'd say the reason I'd say Alberta Morris isn't necessarily because of that on-base percentage, which obviously isn't great, but I just see a huge leap for him this year. In my opinion, we'll get to that later on, I'm sure, um, down the road in a month or so when we start doing predictions. But I see a really big year for Alberta Mora. And obviously for uh, uh, Brizzo, the Brizzo combo, to have a really big year. Um, it'll be key for the Cubs to get guys on base before they come up uh, so that the Cubs can make teams pay early and often like they did in 2016, in which you'd see a terrible starter out there facing us and know that it was going to be a good day for the offense. And the pieces are still there for uh, us fans to be able to watch those same types of games again. Um, But it'll come down to the Cubs, uh, you know, quote-unquote peripheral guys uh, like Alberta Moore and Ben Zombis and see if they can step up in the leadoff spot. Um, So next we're going to talk about – we disagree here, actually, um, with the last position. And I'm going to go first here, Max. Uh, my last um, addition I think you could me to make is a left-handed bullpen guy. And um, I say that because Brian Dunstan and Randy Rosario are the only left-handers in the Cubs' bullpen right now. And when it comes down to the playoffs, uh, those guys are key, well, those left-handers, for certain situations, you know, um, including splits and getting the key out or two against the big lefty bat. And uh, we've seen it in the past come up in the playoffs every, you know, time and time again. And, you know, the free agent market, obviously, for relievers is getting dwindled down. But I found a few guys here, and um, I'm going to go through a match, and then you can give your take on a few of, or on all three or whatever you want to do. But the first guy is Oliver Perez, and he had a 1.39 ERA last year with the Indians, 51 games, and 32 or third innings. He's 37 years old, um, but he's a veteran pitcher. He would be very cheap for the Cubs. And he can be a guy that turns out to be very useful this season. Um, he was seventh in wins above replacement for all relievers coming into this free agency, um, being that those relievers were testing free agency. It was the seventh best. And as of right now, he's the best one left uh, besides Adovino and Craig Kimbrell, uh, who we talked about in last week's podcast. So I think he's definitely an option for the Cubs. He's got a little funky lefty delivery. Um, I think he, he could be the solution. Uh, Tony Sip, he seems like a small trap uh, because he had a 1.86 ERA last year in 38 and two-thirds innings. And out of his 10 years, he's had three years with less than a three ERA. Um, so I think he's kind of a trap, um, and I'd rather have Oliver Perez. And then the last guy is Zach Duke, and he hasn't been good, um, and he's been pretty inconsistent. Um, so I don't totally want him, um, but I, I don't think he's the worst option on a really, really cheap deal. But um, in the end, this all shows that the free agent market for left-handed relievers is pretty slim at the moment, so it may be t- a tough addition to get to and, you know, feel really good about paying up um, for, or paying for any of these guys uh, with their long history of injuries and inconsistencies and flat-out not great numbers. Max, do you have a take on any of those guys, or do you want to get to your position? I mean, definitely. I see what you're saying on all those, but really I think there's more of an important spot that we need to cover on the roster, and I think that's the closure situation. Uh, we know that Brandon Morrow was in, got injured, and we've been hearing that he won't be ready for the start of the season. And obviously, Pedro Strope got injured too, but uh, I mean, obviously a lot of us trust Pedro Strope, and I do as well, but really I think we need another guy at the back of the bullpen. And a guy I really, obviously two guys that uh, would be the favorites are Adam Adovino and Craig Kimbrell, but they're both uh, really expensive, as we talked about 
last week on our podcast, and they really would be um, they really would be too much. So the guy that I'm looking at is Jorge De La Rosa. He was he was with us last year, and obviously he's not the best name. You don't hear a lot about him, but he had a 1.29 ERA with us last year. Yeah, only 17 games and 21 innings pitched, uh, 240 FIP. I mean, they're gorgeous numbers. But the question is, can he put those up all season? And really, I'd take a risk on him. I mean, really, you don't lose much, especially for him being a lefty as well. I mean, even if he doesn't work out and he he works out to – but if he does, that's a two two to three ERA, which isn't, isn't bad at all. I mean – that comes down to the fact we get our lefty and possibly a guy that can work the closer role too. All right. With that, Max, it's going to wrap up our second episode of the Ivy Podcast here on January 13th. And thank you to everyone uh, that stopped by throughout this hour. Um, obviously, Ryan Kellogg and Tyson Miller uh, being the interviews uh, for joining us at the beginning of the show. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week on January 20th for our third episode. Uh, the specific time will be will be to be determined. Um, but like I said last week, there's about a 95% chance that it will be again at 8 o'clock Central Time. Peace out, and look to see you here next week. The IB is produced by Benson Fetcher. VIV is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our hosts a follow on Instagram, Thomas, at CubsNation2018, and Max, at Wrigley News. For more of the Ivy content, be sure to head over to our website at BaseballPodcastNet.com. And be sure to give the Baseball Podcast Network a follow on all their social media platforms. Instagram, at BaseballPodcastNet. Twitter, at BaseballPodcast1. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-1. YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network, and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to the Ivy. We'll see you next week.